Welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, uh, either paper or electronic, whatever, please turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to be continuing in our series in the Psalms. Psalm chapter 1 this morning. In 2010, Carla and I took our family on a road trip down to California, to Disneyland. Yeah, when you could cross the border, it was a good thing to do. So we used to do that. We, would, we went down in 2010, and we did a big two-week round trip. Toby was only two years old at the time and uh, just freshly potty trained. What are we going to, how are we going to do this, right? But God was good. Toby only had two tantrums on the trip, uh, one in Tacoma, one in Tomorrowland. And uh, so we had a couple of tantrums, and yeah, he's embarrassed right now, but that's okay. Every kid does it, Toby. It's okay. I, but what I was going to say is I think the biggest tantrum on the trip was my own. Uh, on the way back, as we were driving back home, we decided to cut, into, or cut over to the coast from the I-5 to San Francisco and go through San Francisco, look at historic San Francisco, go over the Golden Gate Bridge, see Alcatraz. It was going to be great. We were so looking forward to this, this part of the, of the day on that, on that drive rather than just that, you know, straight part of I-5 that just gets so boring through Northern California. So we're heading towards San Francisco. The signs say San Francisco straight ahead. But we had borrowed this um, GPS, which we had never really used before. And, and back then, they, you didn't, in smartphones, we didn't have a smartphone, 2010. They were a brand new thing back then. Uh, so a GPS thing on our dash, it was a TomTom GPS. And TomTom -Tom said, go right, to take the next exit. And Carla's like, TomTom -Tom says, go right. And I said, but the signs say, go straight. She's, but TomTom -Tom hasn't let us down this whole trip. We got to listen to TomTom. -Tom. Okay, fine, I'll take the right, and we'll, take, we'll follow what TomTom -Tom says. So all of a sudden, we're going through, like, all of a sudden, wait, wait a second, I'm in Oakland. I'm on the wrong side of the bay. And then I'm going over this, this nasty bridge. I don't know what it was. We're paying a toll to go over it. And as I'm driving over this bridge, way out west, like miles away, you can see this faint Golden Gate Bridge. This, I'm in totally the wrong area. And then you get across the bridge, and what greets you there? San Quentin Prison. <laughs> so instead of, instead of going the way of beauty, the way of joy, the way of the Golden Gate Bridge, and the, the, looking out at the ocean, like we, no, we went the way that led to prison. Not exactly the way I wanted that day to go. But <clears throat> I think when we look at life, th th this is what happens. We have, we have two ways that we can choose to go, and the Bible presents this to us. And this, this chapter in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 1, explains this and says that yeah, there's, there's two ways you can go. 
There's the way of the Lord. You can follow the Lord or you can go the way of the wicked. You can go the way that leads to joy and, and blessing and prosperity or you can go the way that leads to prison. So as we look at that today, we're going to see this in three different ways. The, the psalmist gives us three contrasts. For number one, contrasting counsel. Number two, contrasting fruitfulness. And number three, contrasting endings. So the big idea of this, I think, is there really is only one way that leads to eternal life. It's the big idea of this psalm. So I'm going to read this psalm. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. We'll get into point one, contrasting counsel. As you start this psalm, and it's, the psalmist starts with the word blessed. He says, blessed is the man. And, and the word blessed in Hebrew is ashray. And ashray is, is kind of difficult to translate into English. It, we don't actually have one word that translates perfectly what the full meaning of ashray is. Ashray is a word that, that says, yes, blessing, but not just, not just a general blessing, but uh, a blessing of completion, a blessing that shows that the, the person, this person, this blessed man, is completely fulfilled in life. He's fulfilled in his job. He's fulfilled in his family. He's fulfilled spiritually, emotionally, physically. He's got a good job, a loving wife, and kids, sleeps well at night, is well-loved, has a great reputation in the community, and he loves Jesus. I'm glad you love him. He isn't just blessed in a metaphorical sense, but, but fully. And you'd expect the psalmist here, after this first line of blessed is the man, to continue by saying all the different things that he does that that bring this blessing, or all the different characteristics of the blessed man, like, like Jesus does in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the peacemakers. The, he gets right into the characteristics of the blessed man. But here the psalmist, he takes a negative turn and starts to say instead what the blessed man isn't, or what he doesn't do. He says he walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So he shows us that there's actually a different path. There's, there's the path the blessed man takes, and then there's a different path. And 
And choosing the way of the wicked escalates, as we see in the, the use of the words here, the use of the, the verbs. It escalates from hearing to acting and finally resting. And that means the, the word for sit there basically means resting or, or coming to a place of, like, he's finished. He's stopping. He's staying there. So walking in the counsel of the wicked is to take advice from those who are against God. Standing in the way of sinners is to act on the advice of the wicked. And then sitting in the seat of the scoffer means acting so much on that advice and becoming so rooted in the lifestyle that the wicked endorse that he even starts to teach it. See, being seated or sitting was the position of the teacher in ancient Hebrew ways. You go to the synagogue, the teacher would sit. The blessed, though, the happy, fulfilled man doesn't do this. He doesn't take that path. Instead of relying on the counsel of the wicked, he relies on the counsel of God. He says his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed man delights in the Bible. The blessed man, the fulfilled man, the happy man, the man that's at peace, delights in God's word. It's not a chore for him to go to God's word. He loves to go to God's word. He cherishes his time in the scriptures, reading it, meditating on it, soaking in the never-ending fountain of God's wisdom. He, he drinks it in for refreshment. He, he loves the sweet taste of it on his lips. So these are the two contrasting sources of wisdom we have. We have the, the wisdom of the wicked or the, the way of the world, and we have the wisdom of God and his word. One way leads to fulfillment and happiness. The other le way leads to misery, scoffing, and mockery. If you go online, uh, social media, or if you look at news sites and you look at the comments below, you can tell which way most people are taking. You look and you can see constant mockery and negativity and, and all sorts of mocking and, and bad comments. It really drags you down if you spend too much time on these things. There, there's a lot of scoffing and mocking and misery out there and even scoffing against Christ and his church. And that's, that's increasing. I think 30 years ago, most of our society, if you would have gone out onto the street and asked people, what's your view of the church? They would have, even if they weren't Christians, they probably would have said, well, I think the church helps people and the church overall is a positive thing for society. Nowadays, that's not the answer. If you go into society and you talk to people, there are a lot of people who would say, oh, the church? I want nothing to do with the church. I don't want to go near the church. They might even openly mock and scoff at the church. Today, we see churches openly mocked and scoffed, even attacked for believing in the truth of Scripture and that there's one way to eternal life. Recently, one of our sister churches in Kelowna, Praxis Church, received severe opposition online. We prayed for them here a couple of weeks ago. 
Uh, Praxis is a church that, like us, believes in the authority of Scripture, believes that God's Word is true and never-changing and is something that we can rest our lives on, that we can build our lives on. Even if there's things in it that we don't like to hear, it's God's Word and it's true, and so we stand on it. And because they hold that belief, uh, particularly the traditional understanding of human sexuality, they've received hate mail, social media blasts, newspaper articles even in Kelowna, um, calling them homophobic and bigots. Uh, The Kelowna Capital News ran a story last week that said this, and um, here's a quote from it. Kelowna LGBTQ2S plus community members are pushing back, back against Praxis Church for homophobic and transphobic statements and beliefs. The Praxis Church is a new religious group in town that is actively anti-LGBTQIA2S+. They are not welcome in our beautiful community where all are accepted. Does that make sense? Um, and that reads the Facebook page. Um, the church openly touts homophobic and transphobic beliefs. This is a, this is a newspaper, okay? The, this is supposed to be journalism. The new church openly touts homophobic and transphobic beliefs on its website. According to the church's Our Beliefs page, homosexuality violates God's intention for marriage and sexuality in the Bible. The church also believes that any discrepancy between one's biological sex and gender identity is due to the effects of sin in the world. So even the newspaper... You, you, can, you can sense the tone of the newspaper, right? So even the newspaper is, is saying that the church is completely wrong in these beliefs. It's not just the people opposing the church, but even the newspaper. So they, these, the, this group of, of people organized this protest against the church for last Sunday. On Saturday evening, some of them went and they, they glued uh, rainbow paper rainbow flags all over their doors of the church and all over the front of the church. And somebody from the church realized that um, uh, early Saturday m- or Sunday morning, so they went and they had to they took had to take a lot of time because of the way they stuck it to the doors. They had to scrape. It was it was a lot of work to get all of this off. But they didn't. Nobody from the church um, caused any confrontation or blame or anything like that. They just quietly cleaned it up. And in the morning, when church began, the church members came. They they were very friendly, welcoming to the people who were outside, even the ones who were yelling and upset. Some church members were able to have really fruitful conversations even. Even even somebody said that they think they might have gained some friends even by the end of it. And the church worshipped that morning in peace and left, and thankfully everything was peaceful the rest of the morning. So here's what the, the difference, though, the reason I'm sharing this. You, if you look at this and the way that this played out in Kelowna, you had one group attacking and bullying and mocking, and the other patiently cleaning up, having conversations, and being welcoming, without casting any blame. You have one, half, one side that is unhappy, unsatisfied, and will never find rest. And the other side that is happy and fulfilled and has found peace. So listen, I understand, um, particularly I want to speak to the pe- young people, millennials, 
Gen Zers. I understand that you guys, um, when you look at the culture around us, when you, when you go on social media, when you look at the news, when you look at websites, you're seeing a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure to go against the, maybe the church that you've been brought up in, or you've been, you've been told that the Bible is hate literature, you've been told that all of the things that your parents, your grandparents have taught you about Christianity is evil and wrong. I, I get that, and there's a lot of pressure to go that way. And for us that are older, Gen X and older, I don't know what that generation's called. Um, the thing is, though, we, we look at the younger people and we go, how, how can they believe these things? How can they fall into these belief systems? And I just want to acknowledge that um, over the last 30 years, the church has done a lot of things that have been pretty despicable. And all of their lives, they've grown up with media and social media showing these things. They've been showing the, the rampant sex abuse that happened in the Roman Catholic Church and some other churches particularly in the states that we've heard about. They've seen guys who are supposed to be looked up to and great mega ministries, guys like Bill Hybels, guys like Ravi Zacharias, who in the end end up disqualifying themselves and showing that they shouldn't have been trusted in the first place. So I get if you have grown up seeing all of this stuff that has blown up in, in Christian subculture and all of these guys who have disqualified themselves and who really we shouldn't be listening to. And we're upset because we trusted them. Yeah, I get the temptation to go away. But there's something that I would just want to say about that too is that when we, when we look at people like that who have fallen from their positions of authority and trust and, and have betrayed us, really, a big problem with that is celebrity and the fact that we look to celebrities to be our leaders. We look to the celebrities to be our guide and to be the ones that we want to listen to, the guys who have the mega ministries online, the guys who preach to thousands and thousands of people. We're like, that guy, we have to listen to that guy. But then he fails you, and it's like, you know what? You never should have followed celebrity in the first place. All of us do it, though, in different ways. We all are subject to that kind of a thing because this is how our culture is built. You go on social media and TikTok and YouTube, and whether, it's, uh, whether it is a, a celebrity like a movie star or a music star or whatever, or if it's somebody who just made their, their living by making these TikTok videos, these are all people that are doing this, these, they're doing these things for money and they're using their positions of influence, not because they actually care about you. They don't. They care about themselves. So don't look to celebrity, whatever that, whatever that looks like for you, don't look to celebrity for guidance. Instead, look, look to people who actually live the way they speak. So I know that millennials, sociologists and uh, psychologists say that millennials and Gen Zs are looking for people that are authentic. And I commend that. Do that. But when you're in the church, look for, look for Christians who love the word. Look for Christians who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night and then live like it. 
and talk to them and say, hey, can I have coffee with you? Can I learn from you? Can I, can you mentor me? These kinds of things, because this is, Paul tells us this in, I think it's First Timothy, where he talks about um, older men should be teaching younger men, older women should be teaching younger women. This is a healthy way of learning the scriptures, of learning what it means to follow the Lord with our lives, of how to live out the scriptures, of how to debate and wonder and when there's tough passages, how do we wrestle with these things. These, this is the kind of environment that we should be doing this in. Even our community groups here at church or our care groups or our small groups or whatever we're going to call them, we should be in those groups and this is the kind of stuff that should be happening. But people, we need to be looking at those who are loving the Lord and living like it, who are talking, who are practicing what they preach. Not just because somebody's popular online. Because here's the truth. The way of happiness and blessing, as the psalmist tells us, is by staying with the counsel of God's timeless and perfect word. Not other things that get blown away. So the next, the, the psalmist shows us the contrasting fruitfulness of these two ways. So verse 3, he is like a tree. He's talking about the blessed man again. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. In ancient times, um, people didn't have automatic irrigation systems like we see nowadays. Um, they, they didn't have, you know, the big, if you see a big field and you see those irrigation systems with the massive wheels kind of rolling across the, the grain field. They didn't have those. So what they would do instead with their orchards is they would actually dig from the nearest water source and they would dig a canal that kind of weaves in a, in, kind of in a, in a, I don't know, like, you know, look at my hand, that way. <laughs> and, and they would plant the trees near the, near the canal that they digged. And so throughout the orchard, the, the water would be going. As long as that water source was bringing the water, their orchard would be taken care of. So the psalmist is showing us that the one who meditates on God's word, the one who trusts the counsel of God, is then like a tree that has been planted. It's been cared for. This isn't a wild tree that's just growing out and off in the wild for some, for some reason. It's not just like nature has taken its course. This is a tree that has been cultivated and cared for. The, and the fruitfulness of this person is a biblical fruitfulness, the, the full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You all know your fruit of the Spirit, right? And when a person who is truly at peace with God and living according to God's word, the Lord provides the way that this water provides for these trees in the orchard. God, through the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, will create the fruit of the Spirit. He will make you fruitful. Now, when we see the word prosperous, we usually think of financial wealth, though. To be sure, financial well-being is included in this statement. Like I said earlier, uh, the, the, the blessed or 
um, you know, this metaphor of, of being a healthy tree, it does include all of life. That's what the psalmist is trying to say, that you will be taken care of, basically. He'd be someone who achieved his goals in having a healthy family, a healthy job. But that doesn't mean, it do, what it doesn't mean is that blessed is the man who then is driving a Lamborghini and has a $2 million house. That's not what this, that's not what this means. I know that that's our, our translation, or that's, that's the way that we look. We look out and we see people that are driving these cars and we know that their lifestyles aren't in the way of the Lord. And we're like, Lord, how are you allowing this? But that's not the blessing that the scripture is talking about. The blessed, fulfilled, happy man will live with an understanding that God's word, that meditating on his word, that drawing near to him, that having that relationship with him, that will bring the blessing. He understands Paul's words from Romans 8.28, which is, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The blessed man knows this. This actually makes me think of my grandpa, uh, my dad's dad. He farmed in different places around BC, Yarrow, Aldergrove. He was part of all the MB churches in these places too. Um, and he had a wife and five kids. In retirement, they lived in a small two-bedroom apartment here in Clearbrook. I remember him driving to our house. Uh, we, grew, we lived on a farm. My dad actually bought the farm from my, my grandpa. And grew, living on that farm, and I remember grandpa driving up in his old Ford Tempo and going out to the, to the workshop and doing woodworking and then coming inside and just sitting and having coffee. And then he'd go home. It was just a very simple life. But he was at peace. He was blessed. I don't, think they, I don't think him and grandma ever went on any major vacations anywhere tropical, nor did they, did they eat at nice restaurants. Their, their idea of a vacation was going to Alberta, and their idea of eating in a nice restaurant was muffin break. <laughs> he was just a faithful husband, faithful father, and a faithful Christian. And you know what his legacy is? All five of his kids love the Lord. And all their spouses love the Lord. And last I checked, all of their grandkids who profess Jesus, or all of their grandkids do profess Jesus as Lord. That's the kind of blessing that comes to the man who is faithful and who stays to the counsel of God's word. He was like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in its season. And even though he's been with the Lord now for over 30 years, his leaf still hasn't withered. Then, though, there's the contrasting fruit, which really isn't fruit at all. It's chaff. Chaff, uh, if you aren't familiar with that term, is basically the useless husk of grain or seeds chaff if you if you eat peanuts right the shells that's the chaff or if you uh, are a grain farmer um, what they did in the olden days is they would they would bring in the wheat into the to the threshing floor and they would beat it and the grain would fall out and then they would toss 
they would toss it in the air and the, the wind would blow the chaff away and the grain would be left. And so they could collect, collect the, the grain then, so th but the chaff was gone. It's not good for eating. No one eats chaff. And at best, if you have enough of it, it's good for burning. And that's the way of the wicked and even the prosperity of the wicked. It will all be burned. All those fancy cars and private jets and opulent homes, chaff. Those philosophies that are ruling our day that you can't believe that people are falling for these things, chaff. All those ways you see the wicked prospering now. And when I say wicked, I know uh, that there's probably many different images that pop up in your mind. Tyrannical world leaders, selfish bosses, uh, people who have been abusive uh, it, and it drives you crazy that you see these people getting away with their evil. I, I, I get it. But them and even their remembrance will be gone. In eternity, they will not even be remembered. And if they are, it will only be to show God's supreme power and glory over them. To show that God's wisdom shamed the world's wisdom. And that leads us to our last point, contrasting endings. Contrasting endings, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, this choice of which way you're going to live has eternal significance. When the psalmist writes that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, this doesn't mean this is just an intellectual knowledge. He doesn't just look at us and say, oh, I know that that person's righteous, because that way he also knows the way of the wicked. He has an intellectual knowledge of what the wicked is doing. No, when the psalmist here says that this is knowledge, this is an intimate knowledge. This is care. This is his mercy and grace upon us. This knowledge is divine mercy and grace and love for his people. It is his sovereign covenantal love. If you look through the scriptures, you see that God, the way he administers his relationship with his people is through covenants. This, you see this all the way from Adam, all the way through Jesus. And in Jesus, we have the new covenant in his blood, like we sang about earlier, like we prayed about earlier. In other words, though, the righteous go on to eternal life and the wicked to eternal punishment. Those who choose to listen to the wisdom of the world and chase after all those things that look so appealing and live for money and live for fame and live for celebrity and ultimately sit and rest in the ways of the world and think that they've got it made will meet their eternal doom. Now some of you may be sitting here thinking, yeah, I'm choosing the ways of the world right now, but you know what, I'm going to be fine. I'm young, I've got a lot of years left. You know you've been following the way of the world and you know that you've been drawing from the wrong source. And somehow you actually think that you're outsmarting God even. 
I remember times like that in the past when there would be certain sins that I was living in, and I'm, I'm thinking about my teen years, my early 20s, and I'm, I'm, there's just things, habits that I had or things, oh, you know what, it's okay if I do this. As long as I go to church on Sunday, as long as I read my Bible, I'm going to be okay. But God doesn't work like that. When we're living for those things, if we think we're going to appease him, we think we're going to pay him off by some work of penance, we're sadly mistaken. The only thing we can do is give our lives fully to Jesus, repent of our sin, repent of following those beliefs and those, the way of the world and all of those deceptive philosophies that are out there. Repent of all those things that say they're going to fulfill you, all the, the, the money and the fame and acclaim, whatever, and turn from it. Look at these words in 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 20. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Uh, make no mistake, you want to be in the camp of the righteous. You want to be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous at the end. And there will be an end. And Jesus promises that he is going to return and judge the living and the dead. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon in his commentary on this psalm. He says this, The righteous carves his name upon the rock. But the wicked writes his remembrance in the sand. The righteous man plows the furrows of the earth and sows a harvest here which will never be fully reaped till he enters the enjoyments of eternity. But as for the wicked, he plows the sea. And though there may seem to be a shining trail behind his keel, yet the waves will pass over it. And the place that knew him will know him no more forever. The very way of the ungodly will perish. If it exists in remembrance, it will be in the remembrance of the bad. For the Lord will cause the name of the wicked, the wicked to rot, to become a stench in the nostrils of the good, and to be only known to the wicked themselves by its putridity. May the Lord cleanse our hearts and our ways that we may escape the doom of the ungodly and enjoy the blessedness of the righteous. The truth is that none of us are truly righteous. There is only one who is righteous. He's right. If we look at our lives, every one of you can look back on your lives and you can see that the ways that you aren't righteous and you can see all the ways that you have failed to live up to God's holy standards. There is only one who has obeyed God's law perfectly there is only one man who is fully, truly the blessed man, and that's Jesus. So for us to be truly blessed, for us to be obedient to God's law, repent. It's not too late. If you've been following the philosophies of the world or if you've cast aside scripture and you've, you've said you know what I think I'm done with Jesus 
but yet you feel uh, uh, something in you this morning. Maybe the, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. Maybe he's calling you. Like he sang, Jesus is calling. So repent. Turn from your law-breaking. Turn from aligning yourself with the ways of the world and instead align yourself with God's counsel. Come back to his word. Trust in Christ and his righteousness. And he will plant you by streams of water and you will bear fruit in good season and your leaves will not wither for all eternity. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and that you, in your grace, have given us your word. That you have opened our eyes uh, by your spirit. You've, you've given those of us, those of us who know you, you've given us an understanding of your word so that we can read it and know it and live it. And I praise you for that. And so, Lord, for those who are either here this morning, maybe watching online, who are feeling that call to repent and follow you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would complete that work in them. And they would do that, and that they would let uh, one of their Christian friends know, somebody, like I was saying, somebody that they trust, somebody who they, they see as an authentic Christian, following you, loving you, knowing your word, not just following the winds of, of the the. the the changing winds of doctrine of our culture, but, but ones that follow the, the true counsel of your word. So Lord, for all of us, help us to remember your word as we go into our week. Help us to live according to your word, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, may we do that as we go and make disciples. That's that in your name, Jesus. Amen.